Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Uh, three weeks ago, we started this series called A Jesus Church, and we talked about the vision of Providence as simply and purely boil us down to the main thing about us. The banner over us is we want to be a Jesus church, that's it. And last week we talked about the mission and carrying that out is, is this, that we build people people to overflow in God's love and carry his heart. That's, so we're, we're a Jesus church that builds people up in Jesus. That's what we wanna be, all right? Um, this morning though, I'm talking about, so that's a vision and mission, this morning I'm talking about values. Now, values are, are extremely important, okay, vitally important. Values are so important because what values do is they anchor you, they root you, and they ground you so you can actually grow in the culture, the kind of culture that a Jesus church must grow in. And I think many times you can have a, a really great biblical vision statement and then a really great a mission statement, and then you have values, though, that actually operate outside of the, the only kind of kingdom or the only kind of like greenhouse, so to speak, that a Jesus church can grow in. And many times you see values are the place where the business world begins to converge on the church world. So you will have a value. Let me, let me uh, kind of get the awkward out of, out of the way. You can have a value that, uh, you can have a vision that says we want to be a Jesus church, then a value that says something like, we value excellence. Um, okay, we value excellence. And we want to do everything. So suddenly, though, the root system that is supposed to be giving life to a Jesus church becomes a business principle, we value excellence. Now, I wanna tell you this, disagree with me all you want, maybe I am wrong, but let me tell you this, that a value for excellence is missing the kingdom of Jesus. In the kingdom of Jesus, you get people in line with their gifts and their calling and you champion those people to go after God and his destiny on their lives, and, and excellence is one of the fruits that come out of someone running with Jesus. But it's not the goal that you set your eyes on. Can you imagine being a dad and telling your kids, my goal for you is that you would be excellent in all you do? Oh, okay, dad. And so when they don't wash the car right or when they bring home a B, this is not how we do it in our house. And you begin, to, you begin to drink from or be attached to a kingdom that can stealthily exist for a while in Jesus' kingdom, but is actually alien and foreign to it. Let me open your Bibles here uh, to the book of Colossians. I love Colossians. If you love Jesus, you've got to love Colossians. There's nothing like Colossians to lift up Jesus. And I want to show you what I'm saying because the room has gone quieter. <laughs> and uh, and I, I realized this may not be an amen. Last, last week was maybe the most fun preaching I've ever done at Providence. You guys were shouting me down. You know, it was wonderful. Jason Driver was not even with us, you know, but I, I still felt so encouraged. Uh, this week may not be one of those weeks. Hey, whatever, all right? That's okay. Like, let's just encounter Jesus and see what he has to say to us, amen? So Colossians 
Put your finger in Colossians chapter one, that we're gonna be there for a little while, but I want you to skip to Colossians chapter two, and I want you to look at this with me. Colossians chapter two, verses six through eight. I'm gonna read this, reading out of the English Standard Version. Yours might be a teeny bit different, but, but uh, they say the same thing. Listen to this. Therefore, Paul says to the Colossian church, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Whew. Rooted and built up in him. So, some uh, translations say rooted and grounded in him, okay? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now, now this word, sometimes when the Bible talks about the faith, it's talking about faith in action, like what we do, but sometimes it's talking about the content of the gospel message, and that's what this is, this, that's what this is talking about. It's like, your roots must go into the gospel, Build up in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I don't know why, but here in my Bible, I have 7-3-15 written in my Bible, so that what that means in my world is on July 3rd, 2015, I read this and got wrecked, all right? So I just, I just wrote it in there. Our, our Bibles, I wanna encourage you, give you license to maybe get a Bible and write in it and underline it and tear stain it. All right, it's really good. You can't do that digitally. Digital stuff is great. You know, you pull it out and for a while you can do that. But you can't, you can't tear stain uh, an iPhone, you know? And so I would just, you know, uh, get one of these. Um, but two, two, not, I'm, not, I'm honestly not knocking, knocking the digital world, but let's keep going here. I'm, uh, th- this is not making sense yet. Um, so, so listen to this. Then it goes on to say in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, now guys, this is so, so important here because what, what Paul is saying to the Colossian church, like one chapter prior, and we're gonna get into that, he is celebrating Jesus and all that he is. And then he's saying, listen, you, just as you receive this Jesus as Lord, I want you to walk in him. I want you to put your roots down into him and his kingdom. I want you to be grounded in him. Any building that happens in your life, it has to be built on him and his kingdom and what he is establishing in the gospel that he's given you, all right? Thank God for it. Now he says, but see to it that you are not taken captive by worldly deceitful philosophies. Very interesting. While we're saying walk in Jesus, be built up into him, the very next verse is saying, be careful how you're being built. Because you you can receive Jesus and then build from a different kingdom. You can, you can build from a kingdom that doesn't necessarily look bad, but it's based not out of Jesus, but out of human tradition. How many of us have been alive long enough to remember worship wars way back? Where you can't have an electric guitar on stage because it's from the devil. Like, where is that in the Bible? Like, guys, like this is human traditions have told us how to do church. And there's so many things that, listen, human traditions, elemental spirits, this is, there's, there is uh, an assault on the church from a realm that we can't see. And so there's a lot coming against the church. And, and my concern is, and here's why values matter in the church. And not just values like, well, excellence and happiness. And I don't know, we like to play. Great. All right, but the values in the church have to connect us to the kingdom that God is that God is unleashing on the earth. All right, 
So this is, this is where it is. So here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna talk about Jesus just to make sure that we know whose church this is. I wanna talk about what Paul says about Jesus to the Colossians, and then I wanna talk about kingdom values, not just core values, giant you know, the giant has core values. Hardy's has core values. Come on. We want kingdom values. All right? And so then I want to talk about those. I do, I, and I want to talk about uh, avoiding worldly systems that have crept into the church. And I'm just ready to, to just, what do you call it when you, in WWF, when you pick someone up and you, is it pile drive? I want to pile drive a worldly system this morning. All right? So, yes. Get it out. In Jesus' name. All right, so hey, so flip over in my Bible. It's Colossians chapter one, starting with verse 15. Let's talk about Jesus. And, and it is so important that we get a good theology of Jesus, or in the theological world, a proper Christology. All right? A proper Christology. We have to understand who Jesus is, who he is not. But let's stay super positive right now. Let's just talk about who the man is. All right? And I'm going to read a, a portion of this and we'll go back. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. <laughs> and anybody blessed by this? Woo. Look at verse 17. And he, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Yes. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now I want to see that because the... The world does not know peace by the example of Jesus' love, okay? The world knows peace, and we know peace with the Father because of the blood of the cross. Super important. The church can't lose that message like, oh, well, at least we still have love. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the love attached to the cross, all right, so let, let's talk about this. I want to talk about a few things about Jesus. Number one, let, let's view Jesus properly. He is not just a good example. He was not just a, a nice man. It, it's not like he was reincarnated enough times that he just got it right. All right, come on. Church. Like that kind, of, that kind of elemental spirit works his way into the church, and we put up with that, all right? This is, let, me, let me be very, very clear about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is God, do you see this? He is the image of the invisible God. This means he is the exact representation of God. When you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. He is the third person or the second person of the, Trin of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son of God. You hear this? Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in him, meaning Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is God in the flesh. He, he is 100% God and 100% man. He is not 50-50. He is not like one of these Greek demigods. 
He is 100% God and 100% man. If your brain explodes at that thought, join the club, all right? But as, as God, the God-man walking, it means this, that Jesus has no rivals. He's not just a good example. It means that nobody has ever been like him or ever will be. It means that he has no equals. It means that there is no one like him. And if, if there is no one like him, it means he's the rarest of rare. And do you know what the rarest of rare is to the world? Valuable. This is why we call him the treasure of the universe. Because there's nothing, he is one of a kind. He is the limited edition. This is, if you have him, you, nothing rivals his value or his power, his greatness, or his glory. And so the church has to be done with preaching a gospel that makes Jesus be used instead of adored. Worship has to stop being about just singing right words that we don't feel. And it has to en- encapsulate all of us. <laughs> So Jesus is God, and I want to talk about this. The Bible says that he is firstborn. Look at the second half of verse 15. This confuses a lot of people and historically has created massive theological error because people have said that Jesus being firstborn means that he was created. Well, if you read in the context of the whole Bible, you find out that Jesus wasn't created. He is God and has always been. He's the eternally begotten son of God. All right? So the firstborn here uh, of all creation is not saying that Jesus was created. It is saying that Jesus alone has all the rights and all the privileges of a firstborn son of the king. You see? That's what it's talking about. So when, when Paul is saying that he's the firstborn, he's saying all the kingdoms of the earth are his. He's not saying that Jesus was created. You see this? I hope we do. This is an error that is often found uh, in the church too much. Listen, Jesus was not created, but he is firstborn. Meaning that all the kingdoms of the earth, everything is his. Now, if he was born, how could he be the creator of all things? Because he is the creator of all things. Look at verse 16a. For by him, all things were created. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, the Bible says. Do you see this? Many times I think we think of of, uh, the father and his fatherly voice saying, let deer roam the hills, you know, or whatever the father is saying as he is creating everything and let hunters gather them. And we say all this, and we think of the father, but I want to tell you right now, when you think of, of everything visible and invisible ever created, every star and every sky and every moon and orbit around every planet, think of Jesus speaking them into existence. This This is Jesus creating all things. And then then you see this, that the reason that he created all of these things was that he might be the goal of all things. All things were created through him, but all things were created for him. This means this, you were created in your mother's womb. And your mission wasn't to do stuff, it was to know a person named Jesus. You were created for Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. You hear this? 
There's a lot of confusion on what is my purpose in life? Well, you'll never know your true purpose in life until you know Jesus, who created you and by whom you were created for. This is... This is like, we, we try our very best to appease the longing and the cry of our soul to be, to, to, be, to, do, to be great and to do something wonderful. And we try to get degrees and try to do things. But statistically speaking, rich people, the most rich and famous and illustrative, whatever that means, among us, are some of the most depressed people on the planet. Because you quickly find that I was, nothing works to satisfy my soul, but the one in whom I was created by and for. So Jesus is the goal of all things. He's not used to get us to what is better for us. He is who is best for us. And if your heart is unsatisfied this day, It's because you're trying to appease this this eternal longing in your whole, and and, and this hole in your heart with creation rather than the creator. You're made for Jesus. You're made for Jesus. So not only though did Jesus create all things, not only did he make everything for himself, but he sustains everything that he made. He's the sustainer of all things. Look at verse 17b, and in him, that is Jesus, all things, that's all that he created, hold together. Now let's just think about this for a moment and let's get like really practical. Could it be that the ceiling doesn't fall on us today, not because we had really good builders that concreted this and put it together well, but because Jesus says that it shouldn't, right? Could it be that, that Jesus is this involved in his creation, not creates it, okay, you're spinning all right, well, have a good time, I'm just going to chill with the Father. Could it be that he, he is this involved in life on earth, that not only did he create, but he sustains every nanosecond of every day, all of his creation? <laughs> I think so. That's what the Bible says. So he sustains all things, but he is also, in fact, superior to all things. And for me, I also took my pen and I underlined all things in this passage, and it shows up a whole lot. All things and everything. All things and everything. This is just, you see that Jesus, Jesus is all. He is the best. He is the greatest. And here, verse 18 says, very poignantly, he is superior to all things. Look what it says. He is the head of the body, the church. That means that he is the boss here. Not boards, not leaders, not pastors. Ultimately, Jesus is the boss. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, the, the word preeminent is not a word that we use often uh, today, and it's an idea, it's a word that is so big, it's, it's hard to contain the, its idea just in one word, and so here's a few other words to help um, illustrate or help define what this word preeminent means. Preeminent basically means that Jesus being preeminent means that Jesus is saying that he surpasses all others in greatness and wonderfulness. He said, there is nothing greater than him in the realm of greatness. He is preeminent. He is king. He surpasses them all. 
It means that he is greatest. It means that he is best. It means that he is the finest. It means that he is the most outstanding. It means that he is the most excellent. It means that he is the most distinguished. It means that he is supreme. And in fact, some translations say that, that he might have the supremacy. In other words, that what needs to break out on, out on the earth is that the king of the kingdom needs to be seen for how great he is, and he is supreme over all. You want the gospel of the kingdom? You want the, the kingdom message to go out? It must first start with Jesus is better than everything combined for all of eternity. He is the most valuable. He has no equals. He has no rivals. There is nothing that should worry us as a result after belonging to him. Nothing, nothing. So this is when the Bible is talking, when, when Paul is laying a foundation here. Remember Colossians chapters two, starting with verse six. But remember, th this is the foundation that there, there was heresy going on in the Colossian church and Paul was saying, no, no, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. Now, I want you to, just as you received this Jesus, remember the Col Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Now, this is the Jesus that you're receiving, Paul is saying. Now, now this is what, what he says. He's building an argument here in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, the one that I just told you who he is, I want you to walk in him, I want you to be rooted in him, I want you to be built up in him and established in the faith that, that celebrates him. You see that? So Now, I wanna, I, I wanna talk about this now. I think maybe you're wondering, Nathan, how are you getting to the values of the church? Well, the values of the church have to be anchored to who Jesus is. Now, now, if we've got a vision that says we're a Jesus church, in other words, that G, when you boil us down, what we want most is to be boiled down to Jesus. A passion, a treasure, a faith, a tenacity, a longing, a, 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 a treasuring of Jesus when you boil us down. But the, 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 in fact, I would say this, that the church is about Jesus or it's not a church. It's, some, it's just something else. Okay, and then we, we talked about the mission where we build people to overflow in his love and carry his heart, okay? And you have to see that this Jesus that is greater than everybody is not, is not using his power to browbeat us into obedience. In fact, obedience is not necessarily what he wants the most. He wants us. He wants relationship with us. And so by his spilled out blood on the cross, he has paid for sons and daughters to come home. And now we have the righteousness of Christ and we are in him and he in us, okay? So this is when we're, we're building people not to try hard and feel bad when they fail, but we're building people up in him and all this is an overflow of his love for us. We're carrying his, his heart to the world. This is what we do when we, when we wake up. This is the mission. But the values, the kingdom values anchor us to who Jesus actually is. They're like roots on a tree that go down into who he actually is, and they create the type of a culture, and that's what values do. Values create a, a, a culture where a vision like ours and a mission like ours can actually work in a kingdom way, okay? The, the values of the church the, uh, should, should cultivate or manifest the kingdom that, that the vision came from. Does that make sense? So, well, here's, so here is... Here's the problem when we try to be rooted and when we try to have a dream that is Jesus but begin to be rooted in worldly philosophies or values like excellence, 
Like I said, suddenly something doesn't work and it's like the ship is being torn in half instead of sailing. Do you hear this? All right. One lady did in the back. Like, praise God for the lady in the back. All right. There's a lot of theology here to to rock out on on a Sunday morning, and I'm doing my best, and I want it to hit home. Theology's not a bad word here, all right? And we we want truth, but we want spirit. And Holy Spirit, come on and make this truth live in us. Amen? So let me, let me tell you this. I want to give you a, an illustration. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to probably hurt people. We can talk afterwards. Don't leave. You know, Jesus is bigger than that. But let me tell you this. When I was being trained up uh, in, in the ministry in, in Bible college, and when I, the kind of church that I was experiencing was the church in the, in the mid-90s to late 90s. And what was happening, the churches that were really making a scene, the churches that were really taking ground on, the, on a worldly, st- oh, I don't want to say worldly stage, but kind of making the papers, all right, were the, the churches that were the, the seeker-sensitive churches. Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah. All right. And I'm not going to name any of them because actually I've got a lot of respect for a lot of them. I've, I've been to a lot of them. I, I've, I've feasted on Jesus at a lot of these churches. And I've, I've learned things uh, at, at a lot of these churches that is, that's really big. So you're not going to get this pastor knocking another pastor. It's not going to happen. But what happened, though, as a movement, I, I just want to talk about the movement. The, the, the movement was, and I think it, it was birthed great, like, hey, we're not reaching people. We, <laughs> this is ridiculous. The church is being driven by human traditions and things like that. Let's actually reach people. But what happened in that movement, and I only know it because I I tasted it, I had a front row seat to it, is what happened is the church quickly became, the the value system of the church was was no longer about Jesus, but was about making people, making uh, unsaved, unchristian people comfortable in a Jesus gathering, you know? And I, I, I think it started with good motives, like, like church, Jesus will win people if they just get in his presence, right? But I think that what happened is then suddenly you can't do anything that even smells a tiny bit weird, even if it's coming from good motives, because it might weird somebody else out and they might never come back. And so coming back became the banner or the root system that Jesus churches were, were shouting, and they can't coexist. You see this? They cannot coexist. The goal, Jesus didn't die on the cross so people would come back to church gatherings. Jesus died on the cross to purchase sons and daughters. All right, people that were dead, I'm gonna raise them back up. Like this is, and so the church that Jesus created and that Jesus is the head of, the church is not necessarily for the lost. The church reaches the lost, but not for the lost. The church is not necessarily for people's comfort. The church is, listen, for Jesus. For Jesus. And so what can happen? This is, this is what can happen. We can get our tentacles or our root system or our values down in something that may not be super bad, but it's, it's just not in alignment with the word, meaning Jesus. Now, so at Providence, here we have, we have taken ton, tons of time to pray, and over the years we have built some values. So here are our four core values at Providence that we believe they're in line with the heart of God for this time at Providence. You ready? for these? All right. So here's the first one. We believe that it goes deep into Jesus, but here's the first one is this. At Providence, we desire intimacy with God. Okay? We desire intimacy with God. And so here's the statement that we wrote up to go along with this. It says this, we were created to know and enjoy God. 
super important. If you go back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they got it back hundreds of years ago that the, what is the chief end of man to know and enjoy God? We believe that still today. That is what God, God made us, not know, to know about him, but to know him, not, not just here, but here, not, not just the concept of him, but to experience his goodness and his heart and his love and everything about him, not to look at him through a window from the other side, but actually to be in his house, at his table. In Revelation 3, when Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart, he's not knocking on lost people's heart's door. He's knocking on the church's door saying, I want in and I want you to know me. We were created to know and enjoy God. We long to experience his heart up close. When we gather, we gather to encounter him with uninhibited praise and heartfelt worship. We want hearts that burn in response to his love and greatness. We don't just want to pass the love of the Father on a test anymore. We want our hearts to burn in his direction. So we say, when we say we want to, we desire intimacy with God, we're, we're putting our roots into the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his church. Galatians chapter four, verse six. Have you ever read this before? Listen to this. Here's what it says. It says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into, the spirit of his son is the spirit of Jesus into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, or that street language for daddy. I want to be on your lap. I want to know you. This is, this is a desire for intimacy with God on every level. Now, I was at a wedding on Friday night, and I promise you, just one glance at this couple, I promise you that this couple didn't just want to know each other from a distance. All right? Just watching them. I've never seen a couple more happy to be married before in my life. It was so beautiful and so wonderful. And the, the, the beauty of a married couple wanting to come together is not like living in different rooms kind of relationship, but just hugging for the rest of your life kind of relationship. We want to be close. Amen? How about this one? Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is when Mary and Martha have Jesus at their house, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, close proximity, close to his heart, feasting on every word, but Martha is working so hard for Jesus that she's missing Jesus. And what Jesus says, when Martha gets angry that Mary is not striving and working, what, what Jesus says to Martha is, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about so many different things. I'm not taking what Mary's got away from her. Her. You see this? God wants an intimate relationship with us, and we're putting the roots of this church into the kind of relationship that God purchased for us at the cross. This is what it's like. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, well, I don't like talking about, you know, I feel like a man when we talk about intimacy. Well, <laughs> so? <laughs> <laughs> this is not about, this is not, you know what? Get intimate with Jesus. I promise you'll feel more like a man because you'll start being who you're made to be, my friend. All right? So this is, this is really, really important. We desire intimacy with God. But here's, a, here's number two. These are in no particular order, but number two, we live from the gospel. We live from the gospel. We don't live for the gospel. We live from it. Here's what it says. We base everything we do on the love of the Father, the finished work of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. Our desire is a culture where we operate from God's presence instead of striving for his approval. We joyfully call people to adoption as sons and daughters and are believing for communities to be transformed through Jesus. You hear that? 
We base everything we do on the love of the Father, the finished work of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. Our desire is a culture where we operate from God's presence instead of striving for approval. This is what we mean. Listen, what Jesus did at the cross in the empty tomb set the foundation for everything. Now, the, what's horrible in the church is people get saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and then start obeying through striving man-made traditions and works. And I'm saying today that you, the, the kingdom obedience is not obedience where you're trying hard, but kingdom obedience is where, where the deposit of the Father's love is so wooing you and capturing your heart that you're following God gladly. Yes, amen. Gladly. Instead of just because I have to. How many of us want a marriage where our, our, our wife or husband stays married because they have to? Right, But somehow that kind of theology works when we're talking about our relationship with God. And our marriage is just uh, uh, an imperfect image of, of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And if we don't want that kind of relationship in our marriage, we want all things firing on all cylinders. Then that is, that is just because God wants this. And the way that God has set it up is the kingdom doesn't work on our effort, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these have to be days where the Bible doesn't tell us to contend for much, but the Bible does tell us in the book of Jude to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And so we're, we're, we're contending for this here, this, this relationship kind of gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, where he does it all at the cross and then gives it to us as a free gift through faith. All right? Number three, and I, I, I love this one too, it's so important here for the Providence family. We gotta put our roots into this. This is kingdom, but we champion people. Yeah. We champion people. Now, um, in days past, we said we champion young people, and we do. We do champion young people as well. But what we decided to do is really what was on our hearts is that we needed to say that we're a church that champions every generation, not just one. Because the way that discipleship works is not one group of people getting blessed, but every group of uh, people trying to bless each other in Jesus. All right? So we champion people. Here's what we say. We believe that the love and grace of Jesus is greater than anyone's sin or brokenness. Hope for a beautiful future, not slavery to the past, is the posture we take with people. We seek a community that sees the one values all generations, leads from relationship, welcomes into community, holds honor high, belongs like a family, disciples into health, and celebrates others' greatness. You hear that? This, we're saying we champion people, this is what we're talking about. It's a kingdom concept that we have to put our, our roots down into. Now, let me talk about a few of these things. All of them are super important, but uh, let, let me pull out a few of these. First of all, no matter what happened last month, Jesus is bigger than it. And your future can be bright in him. It does not have to be defined by the, the past. That is the message of the cross. And so if Jesus doesn't hang your past over your head, we don't want to either, yeah. all right? You've got to hear this. Your future can be bright in Jesus. But I also want to tell you this, that God wants to do great things in young people. That's why we have the, uh, the, the best children's pastor and youth pastor I've ever known in my entire life here at this church, fathering the, the children. But God also wants to do great things in 92-year-olds alive today. And I don't want this to be the kind of church where you feel like, well, since I'm not young, I guess I've aged out. Or since I, yeah, I have nothing to offer anymore. Did you see Chris leading worship today? <laughs> Woo, I like that. 
I like that. Guys, this is, this. we have to be a church where, where we, we are excited about the move of God and the spirit of God on every generation and where each generation is championing the move of God and, and those older and younger. You hear this? We can't just be about, we can't just be like, we throw everything at the young people or we, can't, we just listen to you know, all the, the older saints because they have the money. Those are worldly mentalities. Just because people tithe more doesn't mean the church should be controlled by them. Okay, this is, we, we are champions of people and of the move of God in people's life. Here's another one. In the, in the body of Christ, we, we celebrate others' greatness, not their failures. Often, often we get excited when we see somebody else fall because it makes us look better. But in the kingdom, you gladly say, use me to be great. Right? Step on my shoulders. I'll lift you up. When you're great, we all celebrate. When you fall, we don't all laugh. We fall together. Do you see this? So when you fall, you get low on the ground and say, let's get up together. Right? The church has not exemplified that at all. Something goes weird. Something goes wrong. I don't like how that's going. Just like it is, it is not us helping each other be better. It is, it is something different. It's, it's roots in a different kingdom. How about this one? We disciple into health. Ooh. Well, I thought just discipleship was just getting smart. Well, you get smarter. But how about, listen to this. The church has to be the kind of culture where, where, uh, where people don't stay broken. And instead of spiritualizing brokenness because it's too messy to deal with, we, we, can't, we can't just spiritualize it. That is not a kingdom principle, guys. How about this? If there was a, uh, um, if there was a baseball pitcher that, had, that was right-handed, or how about this, a baseball pitcher that had two broken arms, all right? You don't first send them to pitching school so they learn how to pitch and they can pass how to pitch on a test. First, what you have to do is see their arms healed so they can throw. And in the church, what we've done is we've just given broken people material. Here's a study, and here's a study, and here. but what about my broken, dangling arms? Well, those are just like, Jesus likes those like that. It keeps you humble. What? What? And we're laughing, but Jason, is that not true? This is, yeah, no, yeah, your brokenness keeps you humble. No, Jesus keeps me humble. I want my arms to work. Right? Like, we have to have a, a discipleship that, that sees people whole. You see? We have to not lead from position, but lead from relationship. All right? We, we, we have to, this is, we've, we've got we, to, you know, not, not feel good about the place where we've arrived, but we have to welcome people into our spheres. Like, guys, this is, we have to be champions of others. Okay, I could talk about these for a long time. What, one, one more though, and I'm gonna wrap it up. I think I have got one thing on my heart that I just feel like I need to say before we go. But uh, at Providence, not only do we desire intimacy with God, and we do, not only do we live from the gospel, and we do, not only do we champion people, and we do, but we dream with God. We, listen, um, uh, Phil Payne and Philip Herndon uh, were being interviewed on a, on a podcast, and the, and the person doing the podcast asked them, um, what he asked him? He said, so are you a word church or a worship church? You know, this is how we define ourselves. Do you preach the word or do you worship Jesus? Oh, Philip and Phil, the two towers, right? The two Phil's. They said, well, 
we're, we're both. Like, we want both. And Phil said, we're Jesus Church. <laughs> and then, then Philip said, we're a church for dreamers. See, this is, this is who we are, that we, we, this, we have all of these things. Do we worship or do we <laughs> preach? Like, it's, it's got to be both in the church, does it not? Right? And so, but, but here's, here's one of the things that we're, that we're actually believe, that, that in the heart of the Father, in the heart of Jesus, what the Spirit is doing is he actually has dreams for your life and dreams for his church, and he doesn't just counteract. He's not just, okay, the world goes that way, and he's not just kind of staying afloat, that in the midst of all the crazy, he's got bigger dreams than the crazy, and he's inviting the church to enter into his dreams. So much in, in, uh, in kind of the business world or, or in you know whatever kind of world, you, the, the best dreamers are the kind of people that are dreaming, and then they're trying to make God fit into their dream. I think that God wants to take the best dreamers, blow their minds with his dreams and say, hey, like that was just a part of it. I, I want to invite you into something way crazier, way much better, right? We believe that God has incredible dreams in his heart for the church and he's inviting us to partner with them. We operate in a culture of faith that believes God for the impossible, no matter how big the obstacle or how radical the dream. So if a dream is big, but it's from God, we don't say how God can't do that. We say, God, help us to partner with your heart and your dream. And so we wanna be known as a church for dreamers who dream with God. So, so, so important. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, you see, you see which I believe is a, a Christophany in the Old Testament where Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, comes to Abraham and Sarah and he tells them a prophetic word that you're gonna have a son. Now they were up in age and so Sarah laughs at Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, you know, what did, what did Jesus say? Let me, let me see this right here. This is uh, Genesis 18, 14. And here's what Jesus, uh, she laughs and she says, how can I bear a child now that I'm old? And Jesus says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hold, wait, hold, hold on a second. Like you're, you're laughing. Like you actually think that your age is bigger than my dreams. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think that the church has laughed at God's dreams yeah. for way too long. And I, I'm getting out of that stream and into the kingdom one. And I, we're putting our roots down into his heart again. Amen? Now, let me end with this. I, I want to say this. Remember how I was talking about the seeker-sensitive church of the 90s? And that started being uh, in the early 2000s and even today some. But how was how what was driving the church is just keeping people and not offending people and making people feel uber comfortable, all right? And that started driving the church and started becoming the goal of the church. Here's one, and I'm gonna say it, and, it, and, it's, gonna, and it's gonna sting, but I'm not minimizing this. I just want you to hear this because I think that what the enemy is trying to do today, because he, he's always masquerading in every generation, I think what the enemy is trying to do today to shift the focus of the church is the enemy is trying to glorify church pain. And church pain is actually driving the church. And we're holding up our church pain. And that's why we're starting house churches. And that's why we're leaving, only showing up on social feeds. And I think that, that right under our noses, church pain is driving our decisions. And it's the same sin as the 90s just present in a very sneaky, stealthy way, that I'm making all my decisions based on my pain and losses. 
It's no longer, listen, if that, is that, if that is the truth, it's no longer about Jesus, it's about your pain. Not saying that it didn't hurt, guys. Listen, listen, I think, I think if you talk to any pastor alive today, you'll know that they know a little bit about this thing called church pain. In fact, if, if you look at the stats, uh, pastors are dropping out of the ministry at record rate, record rate, record rate. But people are also leaving the church because of maybe broken pastors or broken systems or you know, bad quarrels. Listen, it happens in family. The answer is not to hold on to it and run home, okay? So here's what I actually think. I think that if you took all of your pain, all of your pain, that's actually, that's, that's, we, you were not made and saved to be a part of, of the, the, the painful broken on uh, you know, Mead Avenue, all right? Just me and a few other pain-filled people. You're not, it, it hurts, it hurts. But it's got, the, the church must be about Jesus. You hear this, you hear this, your pain hurts. Here's what I think, I think there's grace in the house today. I think there's grace in the room to me. I think what Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I bought the church, I'm bigger than that pain and I'll take it for you. But it hurts, Jesus. I, I never face those people again. I can never do this again. Like, I, I know. But like, is anything too hard for the Lord? I want your dreams to fall in line with my kingdom. And I want to take all of that hurt. And I want to do in front, of, in front of the world that is watching the church crumble and dismantle. I am doing something counter to the culture. And I'm bringing people that have hurt each other back together. This is, this is what I really believe. I was up praying this morning. It, I don't know if it makes tons of sense with the whole message, but I guess it does. If we're gonna be a Jesus church, we can't have the one thing that, that uh, triumphs over him be our pain, yeah. right? Guys, can, 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 we, can we take that and give it to him? And I promise you, if, if we give it to him, release it and do whatever he says to do, he will triumph over it because, listen, we're a Jesus church, but it's a, I could never do this. so uncomfortable. This is not church of the comfort. This is not first comfort, Spring Grove, okay? You know? Oh, but Jesus, I, it'd be so awkward. Listen, this is not church of the non-awkward, all right? This is, it's going to hurt, it's going to be weird, but it's going to be good. The dreams in God's heart are bigger. We have to walk in them. We have to walk in them. Is that good? Can you, can you receive that? Can you, can you uh, write where you're at this morning? <laughs> I want you to do two things. I want you to say, number one, Jesus, wherever I put roots down into a system that was, it was a worldly system, a philosophy, not of the kingdom. God, I sever that connection and I reunite my heart to Jesus. He's the king. He's the one. He's the treasure. He's the goal. He's the one who's purchased the church. And I'm, God, I'm sorry for going outside of you. And Lord, any, anything that we have prioritized and held up over Jesus, like pain, or like hurt, or opinions, or ideas, or whatever, okay? Philosophies of how we do church, whatever, that's actually kept us from one another. Jesus, we lay those things down, and we invite you, come, like we started singing today, come rest on us. Holy Spirit, come down and rest on us and begin to heal the broken places, I ask. And I pray. And I, so we give you all of our pain, all of our hurts, but we give you a future and we connect our hearts to your dreams. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 